0: Dartmouth 98 Shorts, nine minutes for eight questions. We'll be catching up with our fascinating classmates, hearing about their lives, careers, and adventures since graduation. I'm Kelly Wardwell Ryerson.
1: Hi, I'm Roger Griesmeyer.
0: Our second guest on Dartmouth 98 Shorts is Liz Gerber. Liz is one of the first people I met at Dartmouth in a freshman women in engineering event. She admirably got the engineering degree and I didn't.
1: Liz Gerber serves as Associate Professor of Design in the School of Engineering and the School of Communications at Northwestern University. A globally recognized expert in the areas of innovation, technology, and collaboration, Dr. Gerber has served on in, as an Innovation Strategist, Executive Advisor, Leadership Coach, and Innovation Trainer for several of the world's premier organizations. She is emerging as one of the generation's most trusted and influential voices in design and innovation. In addition, Liz is the faculty founder and director of Design for America, a national team of professionals that equips students with design thinking and innovation to tackle social challenges on campus and beyond. Liz and her award-winning work have been featured in global media outlets, including The Wall Street Journal, New York Times, and Harvard Business Review. Dr. Gerber holds a PhD in Management Science and Engineering, a Master's in Product Design from Stanford University, and a BA in Art and Engineering from our own beloved Dartmouth College. Liz resides in Evanston with her husband Nick and her two young children. We've also heard that Liz lets her kids teach her how to skateboard and that she practices improv with her husband. Welcome, Liz. Any words of uh, wisdom or hello for our audience before we get started?
2: I think you'll you'll get to do every intro for me from now on. Thank you, Roger. That was very nice. (laughs) My pleasure. All right.
0: Let's start the clock. I have the first question, what is one thing you remember from Dartmouth that has been incredibly helpful personally or professionally since we graduated?
2: Wonderful question. I think the thing I remember most are late night shenanigans. And let me give you a concrete example. This was going with a bunch of friends, this is one example, going with a bunch of friends out on the golf course. Um, sledding after sledding, I should say, after a very big rainstorm. And the reason that it has helped me professionally so much is it reminded me that there's always time to refresh and take a break. So we had been studying late up, up until midnight, and then somebody suggested, let's go out to the golf course and slide down the hills into the puddles. And we had so much fun. And I think just taking a break, having some fun outdoors, and then getting back to work is um, something that I've uh, practiced throughout my career.
1: Question two, for those unfamiliar, how do you explain collective innovation and why has that been a professional focus for you?
2: Great question. So some people say it um, it takes a village to raise a child, right? And that means you've got to have your teachers, you've got to have your parents, you have your neighbors, you've got a lot of people who really inform the, the nurturing of, of a child through, from childhood to adulthood. And when I think about the collective experience of innovation instead of kids, I think about growing ideas. So ideas are rarely what we see um, portrayed in the media of a single person often in a bathtub with it coming up with an idea. It's usually a very large group of people contributing different parts, different pieces throughout a very long time frame. And so this title really just captures the honest work that happens with innovation rather than this myth that we've been propagating of the sole sole inventor. Question 3. What's the most difficult part of your profession? These are good questions, Roger and Kelly. The most difficult part is um, is working with people who say they want to be innovative but do not have a culture of innovation do not have the open mindedness or the curiosity to be innovative and are high f- very fearful of risk and uncertainty and so it's um, it's it's really hard uh, I've worked with a lot of these people and I, I always try and break through but um it's really hard when people want something that they're, um, they're not setting themselves up to, to have. So it's like the person who says they want to save money, but spends you know, all their paycheck on Friday. Um, it's, that's, that's disappointing, mostly because I want everybody to experience um, innovation. I think it's an exciting place. I tried to go fast. Sorry about that.
1: Question four. Your work on social innovation networks has been incredibly impressive. What's something our listeners could do in their everyday lives that would actually support innovation?
2: Know that every experiment, every um, everything you try, success is deemed based on whether you learn from it or not, not whether you achieved the distinct outcome. And I think reframing um, reframing experimentation as an opportunity to learn rather than as um, an opportunity to meet a specific goal or not um, is, is the key to innovation culture and um, a life well lived, frankly, because we're all... Failure is inevitable. And so um, it's reframing failure as learning opportunities, I think is key.
0: What is the most interesting place you've visited since 1998
2: and why? The most interesting place i visited since 1998 was South Korea. I showed up in the in the um, South Korean airport and my internet was not working. My phone, this was just a few years ago. I didn't, my phone, I had not set my phone up to, to work abroad. And I was supposed to get to um, KAIS, which is a university in the south, south part of South Korea. And I had to navigate my entire way to that university, two hours away, without any internet access. And I realized how dependent I was. So I actually ended up getting on this bus because every bus transportation is how people people get around. There are these very fancy buses they play. Um, they have like easy, easy chairs in them and they play these wonderful videos and um bus transportation is quite elegant. And I got on this bus and um I got off when the bus stopped because it was the end of the stop. And I looked around and I thought this does not look like where I'm supposed to be and it was the middle of the night, I had been traveling for 24 hours, I was very tired, and I desperately looked for anybody around who spoke, um, sp- spoke English. And I found this young girl, 16 years old, who spoke English, broken English, and she explained to me, in, in fact, I was not in the right city. I was two hours away from the correct city. And what I needed to do is get on this other bus with her great-grandmother, who I believe was a 95-year-old woman, who spoke no English. And so this great grandmother, South Korean grandmother, took me onto the bus with her, sat me next to her, and would not let me get up until my stop, two hours later, um, had we had reached my stop. And so then she started tapping me and motioning nonverbal communication that this was the place to get off. And I um, expressed my grad- gratitude nonverbally and got off at that spot. Um, so I think that idea of being, it was so, fantastic to be that lost um, and have to navigate without my usual tools um, and technologies and really feel really great empathy for people who come to our country, who speak no English uh, or limited English, and just how how important language is to understanding what is going on in the world around you.
1: Question six, what is your funniest Dartmouth-related memory?
2: That I can share on with people. <laughs> that You feel
1: comfortable <laughs> being dil- to distributed to the public? Yes.
2: Oh, oh my gosh, the only only the most inappropriate ones are coming to mind right now. Um, Maybe that's enough of an answer.
1: <laughs>
2: that might be enough of an answer. Yeah, and I just want to I want to just be clear. I think I will characterize these experiences. I won't say what they are, but I will characterize them as um, always. Um, they're often midday or you know, daylight, um, often involving um, nudity and often <laughs> involving um, being in, in strange places on campus where one wouldn't expect. How's that?
1: That's fantastic. <laughs>
2: <laughs> what
0: do you read to keep yourself up to date? What news publications or journals do you regularly
2: read? New York Times, New Yorker, The Atlantic, NPR, almost on a daily basis. And I do, um, so those are on a daily basis. Throughout the political season, I have been trying to read um, outlets that I, more conservative um, political outlets that I wouldn't normally read because I've really been deeply wanting to understand um, a broader spectrum. of of perspectives
1: and finally of which of your accomplishments the last decade are you most proud
2: my two children hands down
0: all right time's up thanks so much liz any parting thoughts
2: for us not a day goes by that i don't think about the incredible friends that i met and still keep at dartmouth college
1: Uh, agreed Liz, I'll actually be on a Zoom tonight with uh, eight of our fellow Dark Dartmouthians uh, celebrating some holidays and having some fun. So thank you to you and for all of our listeners. And if anyone wants to reach out to Liz, we'll put a link to her contact info and Design for America in the notes to this episode. Thanks so much. See you all next time.